Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist and it is time for the tea. So Tea Time with Dr. Tarver was created to help people have more resources to be able to work on your wellness goals. It is not intended to be a substitute for therapy, but more to enhance what you're already doing to be the best version of yourself. So here we are closing out February, getting ready to get to this last week. February is a short month. And I know that February represents a lot of things for people, but one of the things that February is most known for is love. So I thought it fitting that our topic for today would be losing myself addicted to love. Now, as I stated, February is a month known for love. There's a lot of things related to love in February. Some things you may not have even been aware of, but February 7th was actually Rose Day. The 8th was Propose Day. The 9th, Chocolate Day. 10th, Teddy Day. 11th, Promise Day. 12th, Hug Day. 13th, Kiss Day. 14th, Valentine's Day. But what I want to highlight in the month of February, which also may be a lesser known fact, is that February is also National Teen Dating Violence and Awareness Month. So this is also a month where we talk to people about being in relationships that are not healthy. And we talk about the violence that can occur in relationships, as well as what puts us at risk to be in unhealthy relationships. So dating violence can be defined as any number of things. So it can be physical, it can be sexual, it can be emotional abuse, but dating violence can also inc include bullying and that can be cyberbullying. We know that people will make posts on social media that are negative and harming. We know that people will take pictures or have pictures sent to them and then they send it out to other people that can be in a very demeaning way to the person in the picture, shaming, stalking behaviors, tracking, right? So when people are wanting to know your location, putting things on your car to be able to see if you're actually where you said that you were wanting them to take, wanting you to take video evidence, scan the room with your phone, who's in there with you, excessive texting and calling, um, just back to back to back to back to back relentlessly and attempts to also isolate people, limit people, limit what you're going to wear, limit who you can interact with, limit how long you can interact with people, limit how much time you get between when you leave work and you have to be home or leave your school activities and have to be home. So there are a lot of things that violence can include, but things are not often frequently reported. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, there's a lot of shame. I think that's associated with being in a situation where this person who you love and care about is treating you in this way that just does not seem consistent with who they were to you when you first met them. Um, but also just that uncertainty. So what would happen if I did say something? What if I am unable to have someone else after this person is no longer in my life? What would I do if I weren't with someone? So let's talk about some statistics. Um, and statistics, I think, are important because it helps us understand just how commonplace something is. So um, National 
Center for Injury and Prevention and Control, which is a subcomponent of the Center for Disease Control, compiled some of these statistics. 20% of women, 14% of men experience physical, emotional, or sexual violence during their teen years. 20% of women, 14% of men. Oftentimes we focus on our girls and women. We don't talk as much about the violence that occurs against our boys and men, but you all are at just as high risk as uh, our, our women are. 30, 33% of women and 25% of men will experience relationship violence at some point during their lives. So even after you get outside of those teen years, you're still at risk to be involved in a relationship that would be considered violent. Five million high school students in the U.S. experience physical abuse from a dating partner each year. Five million. So for those of you that have children, um, definitely there need to be some conversations, but also some of you who may not have necessarily categorized your relationship as violent, you probably fall in that number. And we're going to talk about why we sometimes don't characterize things as violence or as assault or as abusive. And parents oftentimes don't know. So 81% of parents say it's not an issue or they don't know if it is or isn't. And 82% of parents say that they known their teen was experiencing abuse. Then less than half of them could properly identify what actually would make it abusive. And then our high school counselors are often also struggling with what do we do with these situations? So 80% of high school counselors don't know what to do if somebody reports to them that they're in a violent or abusive relationship. So how do we get here? I want to talk a little bit about love addiction. And I know that we throw a lot of terms around codependent, um, dependent personality disorder. So there are a lot of different things that we talk about often when we're talking about some of the unhealthy patterns that people have in relationships. Love addiction is a little bit different. Um, it is known as pathological love, and it is characterized by maladip maladaptive, pervasive, excessive romantic interest so that you become just consumed in this person, consumed with this notion of being in love, consumed with this kind of idealized, fantasized, perspective about what love looks like. So it's often an immature form of love. So we know there are different types of love. There's that brotherly, sisterly love. There is that love that we have for family members that we care about. Um, there is romantic love, right? So we're talking about romantic love in this particular case. Just this notion of, oh, when I see this person, um, I hear things just so much more clearly and everything just is much more bright, uh, right? If you've heard the term love is blind, then this is what we're talking about. Like, I don't even see anything else about this person. I don't have interest that I want to pursue. I want to just be focused on this person. And Sanchez and John in 2019 really started kind of unpacking this construct of love addiction because it tends to affect our young adults. So people in the 20s and 30s. Um, tend to be the folks that are most affected by this, right? Because if we think about it, you're just learning about love. So you do have a little bit of a maybe romanticized 
perspective of what love looks like. So I like the idea of falling in love, being a love, and don't really necessarily understand all the components that would come along with a loving relationship. So what does it look like in terms of symptomology? Why does it put us at risk to be in these unhealthy relationships? Um, because we get an actual reward from it. So our brain experiences this euphoria, this pleasure, this satisfaction. So, you know, when you have that um, delicious food that you really like, this is why addictions are so similar. Food addictions, gambling, um, alcohol and other drugs, because there is this rush, this sensation, this feeling that we get once we get this thing that we are craving. So love works in the same instance in this in this uh, addiction. Over time, you need more of it in order to get the same desired emotional effect, right? So we built up tolerance. This is a sound very similar to withdrawal and tolerance as I uh, describe some of these other characteristics. I need more. It's never enough. I just want, so I might be involved with multiple people at one time just because I simply crave this love. I'm looking for, for ways to get it. Um, there is more time we spend trying to seek it because I want it. What do I need to do to get this love from you? Um, what what do I need to change about myself to get this love from you? Uh, what what am I going to do to get you to pay attention to me? Even though we know it's unhealthy, we still continue to do it. We have a hard time stopping. Like I recognize this is destructive and causing me all these problems, but I just feel so powerless. It just feels overwhelming. I feel so desperate to be in a relationship, particularly to be in, in this kind of romantic relationship that when I don't have it, I feel alone. Um, so we end up having people that go from one relationship to a next, another. They don't, they don't have breaks or again, um, starting one right after, well, starting another one while they're in one, right? So you'll see people in multiple relationships in addition to starting another one right after one ends. Like now I'm craving it so much. I'm trying to get love all over the place. So I've got multiple people that I'm involved with. Um, it is just really uh, so fantasy based that oftentimes it um, we will create the reality to match what our fantasy is. So the things that you do, <laughs> I will take them out of context. So you may say good morning to me like you say good morning to other people. But in my mind, because I have this fantasized perspective of you in this romanticized way in my head, then I'm taking that good morning to mean, oh, you're interested. And that was your way of saying that we're going to be in a relationship or we are in a relationship. And we mistake sexual intensity or romantic intensity because, you know, when you first get to know someone, there's this attraction. And so we will mistake that attraction for a loving, genuine, lasting type of intimacy. It's just, oh, this person is paying me attention. They want to have sex. So clearly they want to be with me when this person may just actually want to have sex. And so there's often just a misinterpretation of some of these cues, even if a person is directly honest with you and tells you that's what it is. Um, so then we start pushing people to the side. So now I'm missing commitments. I'm missing work. I'm missing school. I'm not showing up to things that I have committed to because I want to be wherever this person is. I want to spend all my time with this person. And, and mind you, this person may not even be thinking about me in this way, or they may not expect that I'm going to be with them all this time, but, but I have created this dynamic in my mind. And so there is this constant struggle to create 
this oh like we have to we have to have this uh, tv version this movie version of a sexual relationship and so we have to have all of this um, high energy passionate great sex all the time or we have to you know wear these matching things we have to really be in love and just trying to force it to be something that it's not and so then I'll get to the point where I'll pretend I start pretending things are what they aren't so even though this relationship isn't what I really want it to be and this person isn't responding to me in in the way that I want them to I'll pretend like it is I'll be I'll, I'll pretend I'm interested in things you're interested in just so I can say oh we have so much in common um, we have so many things that connect us and what ends up happening is this romantic interest, this fantasized version ends up becoming an escape, right? So now here we're seeing how the addiction really plays out as most addictions do. I'm escaping from something. I'm numbing something. I'm avoiding something. Uh, and so I am using this romantic relationship as a way to cope, which is why I'm constantly seeking out this love and these, these love interests because I need to be distracted from whatever is underneath how this addiction started. So how did this love addiction start? Like most things, we know that if you come from an abusive background, you're going to have some ways of coping that are maladaptive, right? That aren't healthy. So if a person has been neglected, if they've been abandoned, whether that abandonment is perceived or real, um, because maybe a person in my life died, but I still took that as me being abandoned by this person that they left me. Um, inappropriate exposure to pornography, um, sexual situations. We've talked about before in previous podcasts when kids are exposed to early sexualized behaviors, whether that's things that are done to them, whether that's things they see uh, other people doing in their environment or whether they are watching this or listening uh, to pornographic or sexual things. It alters their perception of how love looks, how sex looks. Um, so it, it, it distorts that. And so now I'm seeking whatever this distorted perception may be. Um, other factors are parents that are inconsistent. Maybe they're in and out. Maybe I'm with other people and then the family, maybe we didn't have, um, consistent home. We dealt a lot with homelessness or, you know, again, moving around a lot, moving schools, all of these things, but also those hovering parents, we call them helicopter parents. So those parents that are smothering uh, can also cause this love addiction, low self-esteem. We know that's a common cause for people to get in relationships that are unhealthy and more importantly, to stay in them. Depression, anxiety, trauma, particularly sexual trauma can be a culprit for why we engage in um, these types of behaviors that lead to love addictions. And then those romantic fantasies that numb this pain, like so that is one of the reasons why I developed this addiction. I realized like, oh, hey, this distracts me, even if temporarily, from this pain that I'm experiencing. So what do we do? So what do we do if I'm in a relationship that is abusive? So maybe I'm with a person who has a love addiction and they're being abusive. Maybe I'm with someone who has grown up in an environment where they were abused, so they're abusing me, trying to control me. This is a person that doesn't want to let me go. Um, they can't see themselves without me. Whatever the reason why I'm in this unhealthy, um, destructive relationship, because we know that when you're in abusive uh, relationships, it, it destroys you. Um, so you lose yourself, hence the title 
of this podcast, you lose yourself in order to be with this person, to attempt to save this person, to heal this person. We like to fix people. And so now I'm in this situation trying to fix you like, oh, I know you had this horrible childhood or you've been in relationships with people that cheated on you um, or you have had people um, end up choosing other folks and, you know, you get with them during the early years and they become great and they leave you, whatever it may be. And so I feel like I need to stay with you, stay in this relationship with you. Or again, I don't want to be alone. Right. So I'm going to stay with you in this environment. Uh, so if you are in the abusive part, so we're going to get into the love addiction part next, but if you are in the abusive part where you are being abused in this relationship that you're staying in because you don't feel whole and complete without this person, you're worried about not being able to find somebody else. You are afraid to leave this person because they are, they're violent, they're abusive. Um, if you just don't feel like you're worthy. And so this is as good as it's going to get, um, one, let me just tell you that you are not alone. As we talked about the statistics, uh, the majority of people will end up being in some kind of relationship that is unhealthy in some way, at least at some point during their lifetime. You're not weak or powerless or damaged because you're in this relationship with this person who is abusive. You do not deserve to be abused. That is not your fault. That is not your issue. You are not doing anything to trigger this person. Even if this person continues to tell you that you are not the reason why they are abusive. They are abusive because they have some unresolved things that they haven't dealt with. Right. So that's not your ministry. Um, but what you are is you're valuable and you're worthy and you deserve someone to treat you with a respect that is entitled to someone of your great caliber. So you do have options, all right? So I like to tell people there are a lot of ways to get out of unhealthy relationship. So you may have to do steps and stages to be able to get out of this relationship, and that's okay. We just want you to know that there are ways to start, all right? So telling someone is an option. I can tell a friend, I can tell a parent, I can tell a school counselor, I can tell a police officer, um, I can tell someone, hey, I'm in this, a pastor, I'm in this relationship, it's abusive, I don't know how to get out of it, I don't feel safe. All right, so we want to document as much as we can. So if there are instances of violence, the, the showing up on your job, the um, following you, the threatening people that are around you, accusing you, video evidence is very helpful. Um, text messages, or you see this person is texting you nonstop and the texts are getting more and more threatening. The calls are getting more and more threatening. So you keep those text messages. You keep those voicemails. Because that's your evidence of what's going on. Those bruises that you may have. That's evidence of what's going on. Oftentimes people are violent in private. And they're not violent in public. And so being able to get some recording. Especially if you have cameras around. To be able to get some recordings of that behavior. Can be helpful. Leaving the relationship can look in a variety of ways it may be and I talk to people about an exit strategy it may be I figure out when to leave you when you're not home and so when you come back I'm gone um, if I'm a young person it may be that I need to um, switch classes that I need to get to a point where I change my schedule so that you and I don't interact right it may be that I end up filing some type of protective order it may be that I end up moving 
right? I may have to leave. Sometimes people are so abusive that I have to leave. I might have to leave and go to a shelter. I may have to leave and go with a family member or a friend. I might have to leave and go um, to a place that's going to get me back on my feet. Maybe I don't have the resources, right? I've got kids um, trying to get out of this situation. And so, you know, I need to be able to know what my options are so that I can be strategic about how I leave, what I take with me, making sure I don't um, leave a, a trail behind for somebody to find me and that I cut off all contact with this person, right? So again, you have some options. Now, if you're the person that has the love addiction, so you just don't even feel like you can breathe if you are not with someone, you don't get this sensation of love, you, you um, don't get this, this, this romanticized, fantasized version of what intimacy and connection can look like. Um, counseling definitely is going to be important for you to really begin to replace your misperceptions and distortions about what relationships have been to what a healthy relationship should look like. We also talk about relationship sobriety with people that have a love addiction. The same way we talk about sobriety for other addictions. That means I don't need to be in a relationship. So I need to cease all engagement in relationships until I'm able to get a better handle of a more realistic approach to relationships and get in a healthier space. And that's hard for folks. If you all have ever had food you've ne needed to let go of or had to let go of substances because you're trying to be a healthy person, recovery is tough because you have a physiological connection. And so when you don't get that, you go through withdrawal. Withdrawal is very painful. And so it's, that's why it's important to be in that counseling so you can talk about some coping skills to be able to manage those withdrawal symptoms meaningful and purposeful activity. So I need to see a life outside of a person to try to make me feel fulfilled um, because often we use people to fill voids. But as we know about filling voids with any other thing, food, substances, the temporary fix is not long term. And as soon as it wears off, we want more and more. We need more and more. You're never satisfied because they can't fix the void. You have to fix the void. And that's that affirmation, right? So I need to build myself back up. I need to see myself as valuable outside of having a partner, outside of having someone in my life, outside of dating. Um, and I need to create healthy non-romantic attachments because the challenge is I've learned how to attach to people in a very unhealthy way, right? So I need to learn how to attach to people in a healthy way that's not romantic, that's not fantasized, that's not sexual in order for me to be able to have healthy connections to others. We know that we have to have replacement behavior. So when I'm not in this relationship, then what am I going to be doing? Um, and this is when getting those activities, that list of things. There are so many things that people can do, um, hobbies and, and physical activity, um, and communing with nature and all of the other uh, areas of wellness, nurturing that creativity, that, that intellectual wellness that you can do to replace this need to be around someone and recognizing that it's not going to feel the same. It does not feel the same to be doing this meaningful task as it does to get that fix of having that person. But eventually over time, that connection will break. It is a process, which is why the therapy is so important. And sometimes we do have to get on medication to be able to just manage the symptoms of anxiety and depression that come along with not being able to have that fix of a person in our lives. All right, so what are some resources? Um, Joe Biden actually had a proclamation that he created for National Teen Dating Violence Awareness and Prevention Month. And so on his website, he's got a lot of resources, um, loveisrespect.org, a couple of phone numbers for you, 
1-866-331-9474. Again, that's 1-866-331-9474. You can also text love is to 25 to I'm sorry, text love is to 22522. So that is 22522. All right, so you'll get a message back and they'll try to help connect you with being able to get out of this this dangerous situation. Uh, veto violence is cdc.gov is another website with information. We have a victim connect hotline um, and these are resources outside of uh, Joe Biden. Uh, 1-855-484-2846. That victim connect hotline is 855-484-2846. The National Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-7233. Again, the Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-7233. The National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-656-4673. Again, that next National Sexual Assault Hotline is 800-656-4673. And then the National Sexual Assault Online Hotline is at um, hotline.rain with two N's, so R-A-I-N-N dot org online. So these are some resources if you're trying to get out of an unhealthy relationship. Um, there are some books um, that are helpful for people trying to break that love addiction um, breaking in your addiction to a person. I'll drop some resources in the, the, um, the comment sections of the podcast so you all will have them. But what I do encourage for everyone is whether you are in a situation which is hurtful, there's violence, there's assault, um, there's, there's whether that's verbal, physical, sexual, financial, um, spiritual, abuse, resources to be able to get out of that, you can. You can get out of that. You can have a safe and healthy life outside of this person. You deserve it. You are worthy. And there are people that can help you with that. For people that are struggling with the love addiction, what I want you to know is there is life outside of addiction. It's a process, but you have what you need to be able to start it. And once you start it and get the right resources, you have what you need to be able to finish. Okay, you all be encouraged.